Welcome to the Holy Temple Podcast, where we focus on holistic wellness and intentional living. We believe the body is a temple and every room deserves honor and respect. That means mind, body, spirit, and all the juicy and funky spots in between. On this podcast, you'll gain wellness tips and support from the health community as you explore your own holistic journey. My name is Kristen Pridgen, and I'm a health educator, writer, and your host for the show. Now, let's keep it holy. Hippocrates is often attributed with saying, let thy food be thy medicine. And while the health gurus and wellness junkies tend to take this quote to the extreme with with protein shakes, fad diets, and supplements galore, Today's guest shares how simple, non-processed foods can provide even more health and medicinal benefits than the latest wellness craze. What makes the difference? Phytochemicals, these microscopic chemical structures in certain foods that research has shown can treat and even heal diseases. Nutrition researchers label these food chemicals as phytomedicines, and some of them are used to create specific prescription meds, but all phytomedicines are known for their ability to help the body prevent and treat illnesses. Today's guest is Sherry Granillo. Sherry is a nurse practitioner at a private primary care clinic and is also a translational nutrition program manager at the Plants for Human Health Institute at NC State University. In this role, Sherry is responsible for developing and sharing programs on the research of edible plants being used for medicinal purposes. She works specifically with medical providers by educating them on the importance of including nutrition in their medical diagnoses and prescriptions. But thankfully, she was willing to talk with me about her work and share handy tips for the Holy Temple podcast audience to begin including these vital nutrients in their diets. Now, the three main phytochemicals that Sherry mentions during this episode are carotenoids that boost eye, skin, and immune health, anthocyanins that have anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties, and isothiocyanates, which help rid the body of carcinogens. Sherry gives examples of which foods to find these phytochemicals and the best ways to prepare them to receive the maximum amount to receive the maximum amount of medicinal benefits. Now, this was an education-dense episode, so I suggest pausing while you're listening to it so you can take notes or even listening to the episode a few times to get in as much information as you can. I also want to say there are some audio issues with this episode, so I apologize in advance for any difficulty you may have in hearing the episode. Sherry believes that through regular consumption of nutrient-rich, health-benefiting foods, anyone can positively shift their level of wellness. The Plants for Human Health Institute and other phytomedicine educational services provide more tips and resources on how to incorporate these helpful foods into your diet through tasty, easy-to-make recipes. The website is going to be included in our show notes, but I will say it here for you now. It is a long one, so here we go. It's phytomedicine.com. Plantsforhumanhealth.ncsu.edu. Phyto is P H Y T O. Medicine. Plantsforhumanhealth.n as in Nancy, CSU.edu. Or just look at the show notes. <laughs> All right, let's go. Hey, Sherry, how are you doing today? I'm great. Yeah, I'm so clear. Yes, I'm happy to have you here as well. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit about yourself and your line of work? 
Sure. I'm actually a nurse practitioner and I've been a nurse practitioner for about 18 years. And my past work has been as a staff nurse practitioner in a small town in New Mexico. And currently I work one day a week at a free clinic, but the rest of the week I work at the Plants for Human Health Institute um, for NC State University in Kannapolis, North Carolina. My job is to take the research that there are researchers are doing there at the Institute and sort of translate it into programming that can be shared with um, patients, providers to help improve health through plants. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know your background was in nurse and specifically a nurse practitioner. What got you into phytomedicine? Well, I I think since since I was in college and undergraduate, I've been really interested in preventative medicine, which is sort of the reason why I took the nursing tract instead of um, the physician track. And I, I really feel like, especially because my, my, my entire career has been with the underserved population, trying to find ways that are inexpensive and helpful in a different way than regular pharmaceuticals for people to become healthy and to optimize their health. So I was, I've sort of always been a little bit interested. And then when my husband retired in New Mexico and we moved back to the East Coast where I'm from, I was just looking around for maybe something a little bit different and an opportunity arose at the Plants for Human Health Institute. They were looking for a way to connect with medical providers. And I was looking for a way to do a little more programming as opposed to direct patient care. So sort of a match made in heaven. Yeah, that's very, very neat. I like that. Okay, well, let's talk about what you do um, at NC State and with phytochemicals. Can you explain what phytochemicals are? Are they the same thing as phytonutrients? And why are they so important? So so nutrients are sort of um, essential chemicals or vitamins that the body needs in order to grow, in order to survive. And phytochemicals are sort of non-nutritive chemicals that are found in plants, um, but that can have an effect on your health. So phytochemicals are in all edible plants and some non-edible plants. Um, over in history, we've seen lots of different plants that have become poisons, that have become actual ph pharmaceuticals that are taken in pill form now, you know, have been processed to a point where um, they're taken in pill form and that have become revolutionary in medicine, such as uh, foxglove, for example, has been turned into the medication digoxin that helps um, cardiovascular patients. Or um, sweet clover, they have discovered, was actually turned into a rat poison and then turned into warfarin, which is a blood thinner. And people take that as a medication as well. So these, these have been life-changing chemicals that we have discovered in plants. And now we are discovering other chemicals in plants that have real effects on our health. Yeah. And I think that's a really big point to say, to share too, that these are essentially chemicals. And I know like in the holistic health world, like chemicals, the word chemicals gets a bad rep a lot of times. So, right. but just the fact that literally like we are made up of chemicals and it's not necessarily right. a bad thing. So I'm, I'm glad you 
um, spell that out for us and explain what phytochemicals are and how you use them, how they have been used um, throughout medical history to provide health benefits to people. I saw on, I did a little research and I saw that they consider phytonutrients or phytochemicals to be like nature's medicine because they can address a wide scale of health issues. And you mentioned like warfarin, for example, coming from sweet clover. So can you explain what some of these, some of the other ways that phytochemicals and phytomedicine can improve our health and what illnesses can they treat? Sure. So a lot of the research that's going on at the Plants for Human Health Institute um, incorporates the phytochemicals, um, the group anthocyanins. So anthocyanins are, you can see them in the fruits and vegetables that you eat. It's the red, dark red, purple, blue color that you see in blueberries, raspberries, black beans, red cabbage. That actual pigment um, houses, you know, has, is these chemicals. And these chemicals can work in your body to help uh, treat diabetes or prevent diabetes, cardiovascular disease. And they work in a similar fashion. It isn't just, you know, a low calorie food, but it's an actual chemical that works in our body in a similar way to some medications. So when, when you eat a food, uh, your small intestine releases a hormone and the hormone is on its way to your pancreas to release insulin. And what, what happens on its way is that it's de some of it is deactivated. So a little, you know, it, your small intestine releases a lot of it and a small amount of it gets to your pancreas to release insulin. Mm -hmm. People with diabetes aren't reacting as well to the same amount of this hormone. So they need more of it to reach the pancreas to release the amount of insulin that they need to cover the, the sugar in the body. And so what these anthocyanins can do are that deactivating protein, they sort of deactivate that deactivating protein so that more of the hormone can get to um, the pancreas to release more insulin. So it's really exciting stuff. It's really, I mean, it's really... Um, tangible and it's the pathways are well documented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then comparing it to prescription medication in regards to diabetes and things, the insulin that people are taking, how does that compare to the anthocyanins? So anthocyanins um, in this particular instance that I was talking about work a lot like a Genuvia or um, a DPP4 inhibitor, which is you know, is first or second line gold standard healthcare right now and being prescribed for people all over. So it's working in a very similar way. Unfortunately, we don't have a dose. You know, we can't say take 14 blueberries is the exactly the same as, you know, so many milligrams of X medication. And a lot of that comes from, you know, different varieties of fruits, uh, blueberries that are grown in different areas. So the exact amount of these particular anthocyanins and different fruits and vegetables are different depending on time of year, growing conditions, varieties, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that kind of goes to my the question I had next, how much of these anthocyanins or other phytochemicals should you consume? And if, if there isn't really necessarily a certain amount, then is it more so that you should consume these. So 
to support the medication that you're taking. It's not necessarily to like replace it, but more so as a, an aid or a way to support. Well, if we can get people to move more towards a Mediterranean diet, for example, where, you know, they're eating a lot of whole grains and they're eating a lot of vegetables and not a lot of processed carbohydrates and not a lot of meats, then we can create a good base. And then if we're adding specific uh, phytochemicals on top of that to support particular diagnoses in a patient's profile, then it is possible to possibly come off medication or if they have a family history or a personal history to prevent progression of disease. So it's important to eat a variety. If you know that you have prediabetes, for example, or if you do have diabetes, that you want to look at the anthocyanin profile and say, I know that raspberries have different anthocyanins than blueberries, but you just want to make sure to eat a variety of all of these things every day so that you're getting maximum amounts, you know, in a variety from your, from the different foods in your diet Mm -hmm. and making that a habit. I really believe that making some of these really healthy changes a habit is what is going to make people well. I think that's really helpful to know too, just to make it a regular part of your diet or your lifestyle. That's what really is the key there. Okay. Now you mentioned anthocyanins. Are there other common phytochemicals and phytomedicine? I know there are a lot, but are there some like common ones? Sure. Another one that is a common one that's that we do research on are carotenoids. And carotenoids are going to be, lots of people have heard of these, your lycopene, lutein, um, beta carotene, those kind of things found in yellow, orange, and red fruits and vegetables like pumpkin, sweet potatoes, bell peppers, and in dark leafy greens, that chlorophyll in there covers up the color, that yellow and orange color of the carotenoids. But these particular phytochemicals are really good for eye health, skin health, um, and cancer prevention, that kind of thing. And they're stored in, they're, they're fat soluble, they're stored in your skin, So, and what we're finding is that if you're eating a lot of carotenoids, foods that have carotenoids in them, you know, they're stored in their skin, they can actually protect you from your environment. So from sun, from smoke or smog, and you can also apply creams or other things with carotenoids in them on top of your skin. And that can also help protect from environmental issues. Yeah. So you can consume it, but you also can apply it top of it. Right. Okay. So that's kind of similar to like antioxidants as well. Right. So, so, so antioxidants just means that a chemical is fighting off oxidation from, from environmental causes. So if, if the sun is causing um, free radicals in your skin, then antioxidants can sort of grab onto those extra oxygens and make everything sort of stable again. So carotenoids are antioxidants and anthocyanins are antioxidants as well. But what we're finding is that that may not be the very best thing that they're doing. They're doing all of these other things as well. We're getting a little more comfortable with the term antioxidant, but 
the, the greatest thing about them isn't their antioxidant properties. The chemical nature of them is, is very specific and is having a very specific process in the body. So that's pretty exciting too. Yeah, that is really cool. Okay. So we talked a little bit about how anthocyanins can, can help with diabetes or preventing diabetes or treating it. We talked a little bit about carotenoids and eye health and uh, skin health. Are there any other common phytochemicals that are out there and that they actually treat or prevent chronic illnesses? I mean, certainly there's lots of them. My top three, I guess, my favorite three, the ones I talk about are the anthocyanins, the carotenoids, and then um, isothiocyanates. You can find in broccoli, like sulforaphane, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, those kind of vegetables. And those are particularly good at fighting cancer. So that's a big one. And what we're finding is that, again, you'll find more of the different isothiocyanates in different vegetables. And eating a variety is really great. The sulforaphane in broccoli, and broccoli has the most sulforaphane of any of those vegetables. So eating a lot of broccoli will really help someone who has a diagnosis of cancer. Okay. It's so interesting just to, I don't even know who said it now, but let that food be that medicine. But I was just thinking about that and I was like, wow, like we really can support our health, but also protect it as well from what we eat. You know, just simple things we can do, like just fruits and vegetables, not necessarily going out and trying to find like kamu kamu berries and mm-hmm. um, which are great, but you know, like yep, those are only grown in certain areas. You have to get those right. in supplement form and stuff, but like just eating some broccoli, eating some berries and stuff that can also help with improving your health, boosting your immune system, um, preventing some of these chronic illnesses from coming. So that's really helpful to know. Hey there, I want to pause the episode for a quick minute to share with you two ways you can support this podcast. I'm a creative, and if you don't know, the Holy Temple Podcast is a passion project for me, and it's a way to blend my love for storytelling with holistic health. But with that being said, this podcast runs off of love and the support from listeners. If you look forward to getting that notification every Tuesday that a new Holy Temple episode dropped, I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to this girl right here share stories on how she and so many others are striving to embrace their full, whole selves. It really means a lot to me. I'd also like to ask for your support. Would you consider giving a monthly contribution to the making of this podcast? A lot goes into running a podcast and having a team to create this show can keep those weekly episodes that you love coming and it can avoid another, oh, I don't know, eight month break. (laughs) Seriously, your donations towards this show will be much appreciated. The other way you can support is by shopping our merch. Yes, the Holy Temple Podcast has branded apparel for you to enjoy. Check out our Etsy shop to purchase your t-shirts, your beanies, and other accessories. To access our shop and to make a donation to the show, visit my website, kristenpridgen.com. Kristen has two eyes in it. So kristenpridgen.com forward slash holy, W-H-O-L-E dash temple dash podcast. You'll find our episodes, exclusive deals, and our shop and donation links. Again, the website is kristenpridgen.com forward slash holy dash temple dash podcast. 
Thanks again for being a part of the Holy Temple family and for your support. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right, so you mentioned that there aren't necessarily a certain amount of phytochemicals or phytomedicine that you should be consuming because it's it depends on season and the source and things like that. But um, is there a certain way that you should eat these foods to receive the phytochemicals? I'm glad you asked that, actually, because there is a best practice sort of way to get at that variety especially with carotenoids, a a lot of fruits and vegetables that have carotenoids in them, like, um, for example, the ones that are like pumpkin, sweet potato, and carrot. And carrot maybe is the most popular food with carotenoids. And people are like, oh, yes, I can eat a carrot. Eating a raw carrot is not the carotenoids in a raw carrot are not going to be as bioavailable for you as they are in a cooked carrot or in a pureed carrot because those carotenoids are sort of trapped in a matrix and we need to break that matrix open in order to really get the the best benefits um, to the carotenoids. So cooking your carrots or um, at least cutting them up into small pureed pieces is the best way to get them. In addition to that, um, carotenoids are fat soluble. So eating, eating a salad with no dressing is going to be the least Uh, available way to get your carotenoids from if you were going to eat carrots, for example, because they're not pureed, they're not cooked, and there's no fat on there to help absorb it into your body. So, you know, using a little bit of olive oil and roasting your carrots a little bit is really going to help get those the best carotenoids into your body. I mean, other things like mangoes, of course, the fruit is formed a different way. So it's not trapped in a matrix, you know, it's got that soft flesh. So eating a raw mango is, is good too. Also with um, broccoli for the isothiocyanates, we're looking at to get the amount of the sulforaphane that you need to really have that punch for the the cancer prevention and the cancer treatment is, is a lot of broccoli. So um, you can look at eating some microgreens, for example, which have really concentrated amounts of some of these phytochemicals. You can eat a cup of microgreens instead of a pound of broccoli. It's got the 10 times the concentration of sulforaphane that the, the mature fruit does, mature vegetable. Okay. And with the microgreens, would they need to be cooked? You could just eat them raw. Um, you can eat them raw and you could you could just put them on a salad. You can put them in a sandwich. You can put them in a smoothie, mm-hmm. a bowl, any of that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. We've been talking about a lot of like fruits and vegetables as sources of phytochemicals or phytomedicine, but you also, you can get these chemicals from like legumes and you mentioned a Mediterranean diet. So the typical things that are found in that, like the grains, the, the beans and legumes, those all have sources of phytomedicine in them? Of course, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this kind of makes me think about, I had read about anti-nutrients or the like adverse effects that can be found in some of these plants and these produce. For example, lectins is a big one that I've heard of recently. and in our household, we eat a lot of, we do pretty much a plant-based diet. My son has a lot of food allergies, so it's just best if we do mostly plant-based things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of beans, we do a lot of carrots and 
broccoli, but like a lot of beans and legumes and grains and things like that. And I would just find myself feeling really bloated and just just really tight after I would eat. And so my husband was doing some research and he's like, oh, I heard about this doctor, Dr. Gundry, who's saying that lectins are in a lot of foods to eat, like the, the beans and even the, the rice and stuff like that. And so it's sort of a way to protect the plant from being like attacked from pests and things like that, but it can cause inflammation in your gut and stuff like that. And so this doctor was talking about like either uh, pressure cooking those foods that have lectins in them or avoiding them or just trying to find other sources, um, other plant-based sources to get your nutrients and things like that. So I guess my question for you is like, what does the research say about this? Are there these like anti-nutrients or harmful phytochemicals that are within plants? And if so, what can we do to avoid them or remove them? Okay. That's a great question. It's a complicated question. I know. <laughs> right. But, but it's, um, but it's a good question because if people are, are looking at this stuff and they're saying like, oh, I thought that all of these things were really good for me. Maybe I should just scrap all that stuff that was good for me and go back to my hamburgers because I know that I know how that makes me feel. And the researchers at Plants for Human Health Institute aren't doing a lot of research on lectin, um, but other institutions Harvard School of Public Health and all that kind of stuff has some stuff listed about lectins as well. So lectins, like you're saying, are usually on the outside of beans. It le- in legumes are one of the higher, one of the higher concentrations of lectin. But lectin is water soluble and it is also broken down with heat. So just like you were saying with the pressure cooking, rinsing to begin with all your legumes before processing them in your home. And then making sure that you're cooking them at a high heat. A lot of people will soak them first, which is great because then the water is leaching off a lot of those lectins. And then they're cooking them for long periods of time to make them the right consistency for whatever dish they're preparing. And so that is really pulling off so many of the lectins. And if you're not doing that, if you're cooking at a low heat, you have an increase, or if you're eating them raw for some reason, um, then you have an an increased risk for having problems with the lectins. So if you're preparing things properly, that that's really important is to make sure that you're, you're eating foods safely and you're cooking them at correct temperatures and washing these lectins off. If, if you in particular have a sensitivity to these chemicals. But beans and um, lentils and whole grains have so many benefits of, you know, fiber and vitamins and other phytochemicals that I think it's um, it's doing people a disservice to say, let's not eat those. You know, certainly if people have sensitivities to, to any foods, I mean, if people have dairy allergies or sensitivities or gluten sensitivities, even if it's not a real allergy, then of course that you should avoid foods that make you feel bad. But I think that as in general, I don't recommend people totally exclude things that have lectins in them, especially legumes and whole grains. Yeah. I feel like since we started, we have bought a, a pressure cooker. And so that helped with a lot of that bloating and tightness. I would feel out there eating, eat a lot of beans and stuff. So I feel like that helped with reducing the bloating and gut inflammation stuff I would feel. But yeah, like it's it's gonna be a part of our diet. So I was like, I don't necessarily want to eliminate this. And I feel like our society just labels things as good or bad so often. It's like there's no 
middle ground. So uh, I think it's important, like you said, just to mention like, hey, you're, it's important to eat these foods and there's a way to remove some of the pieces on there that can cause you some problems. Yes, yeah. And certainly, you know, we don't want to, I'm not going to tell you to only eat kidney beans for the rest of your life or to only eat edamame for the rest of your life. So getting a variety of all these foods helps keep some of the phytochemicals that you may be a little more sensitive to down, but also so you get the variety of foods. So you're getting the maximum variety of the, the great phytochemicals that are in them. So are there any phytochemicals that we need to avoid? Well, the poisonous ones, but but not as far as the ones that are great for health. I think that getting a variety of foods that fit into the Mediterranean diet that you have access to um, at your grocery store or farmer's market um, are are really the best that's going to make your individual health optimized. Yeah. Okay. We kind of talked about it a little bit with how phytomedicine or phytopharmaceuticals are helping with creating or and preventing chronic illnesses. But when you compare them to prescription medications, are they actually treating the illness or are they treating and alleviating the symptoms? And the reason I ask that is because a lot of prescription medications or even over-the-counter meds, you know, they, they are there to alleviate symptoms, but they're not necessarily treating and curing this disease that you're experiencing. So do phytomedicines that are found in these foods, are they actually treating the illnesses or are they helping with the symptoms as well? Well, I think you can look at it sort of both ways. Because it, it sort of depends on the person's health before they change their diet to incorporate more of these phytochemicals. So if somebody is has a very Western diet, you know, a, a lot of fast food, you know, a lot of animal products, if they're eating, you know, it depends on their type of cooking method, all of that kind of thing. And then if they're able to switch to a much more Mediterranean style of eating with added phytochemicals, depending on, you know, their diagnosis, then I really think you can reverse disease. If someone has a very strong family history of, of cardiovascular disease, and it's much more genetically linked, then you may or may not be able to treat and reverse disease with diet, especially if they were already had a relatively good diet to begin with. So I think it sort of depends, depends on that and how that, how your body's environment is already with the foods that you're eating and how much you can change that environment to improve it, whether or not you're able to reverse or prevent disease dramatically with food. But I definitely think that it is possible. Yeah. And then you mentioned like just the Western diet. Yeah. I feel like any other culture's diet is better than a Western diet. So I know we talk a lot about like Mediterranean diets, but even like African diets do a lot of similar things to Mediterranean diets. Also like even Latin American diets as well. I think it's just, yeah, our Western diet is super processed. Like you mentioned, super processed and highly saturated. So, Yeah. I, as you were saying that, I was thinking 
the traditional African diets or traditional Mediterranean diet or traditional Latin American diet, because as the Westernization hits even those areas, then, you know, they're, even though the flavor profiles may be similar, but, you know, cooking, the ways of cooking and the different oils that are added or um, all these other Westernized foods that are added really take some of the healthness, the healthfulness out of those diets. So true. Yeah. All right. So Sherry, you mentioned that at the the Plants for Human Health Institute at NC State, you're helping with creating these programs to talk about phytomedicines and phytochemicals. What is the best way to spread awareness of the benefits of phytochemicals and phytomedicine to the general audience, but also to like healthcare providers, because, you know, it's important for them to share this information as well. And to know that there's like a, a, another option to just prescribe medication, but also prescribing healthier diets as well. So how do you help spread the awareness and increase the knowledge? Right. So that's really important because if you look at Um, med school training, nursing school training, even pharmacy and social work, any of these sort of healthcare training schools, there's very little nutrition education going on, even though students and professionals in these areas really think nutrition is important to health. There's just very little education being done or in a a lot of them and differing amounts of education across the United States and the world even. So I think it's important to go to, because there's such a trusted relationship between primary care providers and their patients, is getting some of this information to medical providers and giving them such things like a prescription pad where they can write on there, this is what I want you to take every day. I want you to put blueberries in your oatmeal because I know you eat oatmeal every day. I want you to go ahead and add some blueberries because that's really going to help and start to create those habits because we can see that when a medical provider says, you know what, I think you need some lisinopril for your blood pressure and I'm going to give you a prescription, although it's not usually not on paper anymore, it's electronic, but I want, I'm going to send this prescription to the pharmacy. You need to go pick up these pills and you're going to take one every day. And most patients are relatively good at doing this because they can line up their pills and they can set an alarm and do this kind of thing. But if we can get medical providers to also say, I want you to eat this food or a food like it every day and fit it into your your habits of eating, then I think that is what is going to end up moving the scale a little bit towards more successful treatment of of disease. Mm-hmm. So at NC State, are the programs you create, are they are they designed to help with the general audience, just people in general? Or are you working more with educating healthcare providers to bridge that gap between like medical school and then being out in the field? Well, I've done a little bit of both, but um, my focus is a little bit more on the providers because I feel like if I can get that information to them, they can reach so many more people than I can because they'll they'll each have a patient load and they can hit all of those patients. Yeah, that's cool. And then you mentioned too that you work in a clinic uh, once a week, so you're able to to help your patients as well. Then, right? With this, yeah. And then we're trying to make connections to different community resources. So if there's a 
food distribution center that we can connect with and say, hey, I'm going to be sending people here and they're going to be looking for strawberries and they're going to be looking for black beans. You know, do you have those things? Can you get those things? Can you direct patients to those things to help improve health? So making sure that there is sort of a pharmacy where if I write a prescription for something, a patient can knows where to go and knows how to find the things that are on their prescription. That's part of the program as well. I like that. A good community health type of program and service. So really cool. Well, Sherry, let me ask you this. Do you have any like go-to meals or recipes where people can consume these phytochemicals in their diets regularly? We're going to be putting up a sort of a plugin on our website that's going to have a bunch of recipes. There's a, the North Carolina Cooperative Extension through NC State has also has the the med instead of meds program that has a lot of recipes that's on their website. And then we have a newsletter that goes out that has a recipe on it each month. Okay. Okay, cool. We'll make sure we include the link in the show notes as well. At the Holy Temple podcast, we believe that the body's temple and every part or room of it deserves honor and respect. So how do you honor and respect your Holy Temple? So I've gotten in the habit of taking a walk every morning with my dog. So that gives me a chance to sort of recenter myself in the mornings to start my day off with some me time, some quiet time to just start afresh. And that's really helped me in the past. I mean, I've been doing that mostly for a couple of months only. And it's really helped me start every day with a clean slate. Yeah, it's nice way to like refresh and just like you said, recenter, get yourself ready for the day. Very nice. Do you have a word of affirmation or a mantra you'd like to share with us today? I actually, I, I have it on the bracelet that I wear occasionally and it's focus on you. And it sort of has like a, a two-pronged meaning for me. So especially being in a healthcare profession, a lot of times the focus is on others and helping others and making sure that everybody's, you know, being a mom and a, and a nurse, all that stuff is, I'm putting a lot of energy out. And a lot of times I need to turn it around and focus on myself. And I tell my patients this as well. You can't help others until you're good. So sometimes I just need to focus on myself. And then in another prong of that is when crazy, overwhelming things are happening in the world or in your life, it gives may give a lot of anxiety, like everything seems out of control. But if you can focus back on yourself and what can I do in this situation? So how can I make a difference? So focusing on what I can do for others also is, is part of my focus on you sort of mantra. Yeah, so good. Well, this is really great. I enjoyed getting this lesson on phytochemicals, learning the difference between phytochemicals and phytonutrients and how to source them from our foods and put them in our diets on a regular basis. So Sherry, how can people get in contact with you and get more information on phytochemicals and phytomedicine? They should definitely check out the website and check out our newsletter. It's phytomedicine.plantsforhumanhealth.ncsu.edu. <laughs> and we will include that in the show notes because that is a, a mouthful. Well, I want to thank you again for 
being here with me today and giving some really great information on phytomedicine and how we can improve our health one bite at a time. <laughs> yeah, so it's been really great. Yes, thank you again. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Holy Temple Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend. Until the next time we meet, remember to respect your holy temple. Thank you.